Christ, it's been a while, hasn't it? It has. It has. Right. Have, we, have you all got our bottles of Prime and ready to go on this one? Oh, yes. <laughs> New sponsor, baby. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Cage Fighting. It's your main man, Andy Gillard here. Hope everyone's doing well in the new year. Sup, fools. Matt Guy here. Hope you're all doing well. Welcome to uh, 2022. Let's kick it off with the bang. Or 2022 in 2023, even. Oh, yeah. Well, there's my first uh, audio (laughs) clip of the year. (laughs) Mistake. Maybe I'm I'm pining for the year uh, just gone by. That's exactly it. When we didn't have Prime. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so this time last year we did the exact same thing top five films of the year prior um the question i asked you last year was was the previous year a good year for film i think that's a good question to ask again was 2022 do you think it was a good year was it an okay year how do you feel about it on the the whole really matt um, I think it was a good year in that it felt like there was more of your anticipation films, your calendar event films. I think there was more of them in the diary. Um, I don't know if we were completely out of a COVID budgeted filming world because obviously, you know, you had 2021 mm. and 20 films that were put off or reshoots and stuff like that. But it felt a bit more, not calendar viewing, but there was just a bit more excitement and, and anticipation for a few more big titles i think yeah i think the covid thing is a good point i feel like the year was very much a year of two halves like the first year felt very front-loaded and then once we hit summer it died a little bit through autumn and I, we didn't really get a lot of christmas time either so for me i i feel like it was very much a really good start and a quite poor ending Stu, what do you, what are your thoughts on 2022 I think personally, I would watch. I mean, it's not scientific, but I did a kind of, I did a Gillard and wrote down everything I watched just so that I didn't forget. Mm. And then you're looking back at that list, and there's like like forty five films on there. I don't remember a year when I've watched that many films in my entire life. So, <laughs> and about forty of them made on made it onto the 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 short list of the well, they're talkaboutable. Um, yeah. Some were forgettable, some were shitty Christmas nonsense, but the uh, way better than twenty twenty one easily. It's not even a card. I don't think it's a contest overall. I think we had there was more variety as well, and I, I think there is a few films on there that still had, were still filmed during COVID. Not that you could tell anyway, um, mm. but obviously glass onion is <laughs> is set during it anyway, which is I think the first time we've heard that. Yes, I think it is, isn't it? Um, other than there's one that will be on the worst list that is no surprise what that is um, next week. But that was the first one that I can think, a proper film that has referenced the whole pandemic anyway with masks. Mm. Um, there I've seen anyway. I could be wrong, of course. But yeah, I think I think it was a, a, a good year as you had massive block. I think you are right as well. There was massive blockbusters front loading the year, and summer was 
go out and play outside. <laughs> There's the, yeah. don't you don't need to sit inside as despite it being forty degrees at some point. <laughs> yeah, overall, good year. Mm, I'm just looking at my list of like films that I actually saw in the cinema last year, and at the start of the year, it is literally like one to two per week, and then as it goes on, it's like maybe one to two, one to two per month. So it does feel like it did slow down quite a bit. I felt. How many's on the uh, on the database this year? Um. So for. <laughs> Just films that were released in 2022, I watched 98. Um, the overall, the overall. so these are just all films that I watched that I hadn't seen before. I watched uh, 199 in the end. Insane, so we're looking at two every three days, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, it's quite a year. Yeah. Obviously, we haven't really got together since it was before Christmas when we last recorded. Was there any good Christmas films that you saw? That Obviously, if they're on your list, don't mention them. But did you stumble across anything decent that you might be watching this Christmas time? Stu, you're obviously the Christmas man. So <laughs> was there anything that really got you going? There was a couple that tickled the top five. Um, didn't quite make it on there, but spirited. <laughs> going not really knowing what it was just that mm. it was them two, and then being kind of shocked that it was a musical, in a, obviously in a good way. Um, and the fact that it was really, really fun as well. Yeah. And I don't think it, it, it's going to be on every, as with everything, it's not going to be on a, a yearly rotation. It might be on like a two, every two or three years just to keep it fresh and ever, forever. But that and Violet Night, that was, they were just both superb. And mm. it, it's been a long time since we've, we've had a new Christmas film. Um, Obviously, ones that we watched for this in the past, um, like the Family Man and stuff, uh, old at this point um, and new to us. But yeah, for for new films that come out in in the twenty twenties, it seems like a lost art. It seemed very like nineties, like early nineties yeah, of it, both of them. Um, well, obviously, uh, Violent Night is deliberately made like that. But yeah, I thought both of them were absolutely superb. Mm. Matt, was there anything that you particularly enjoyed over the Christmas period? Um, your Christmas or mine was a surprise hit. Um, mm. I had zero expectations. Just watched it because of a few recommendations in the in the fan cast group, and um, surprisingly good. To be fair, um, a, 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 a different take on the Christmas film wasn't riddled with the same cliches. You know, a rich girl goes to Hicktown, falls in love with a lumberjack, and the husband she was about to marry comes in, and what does she do? Blah blah blah. There was none of that really. It was all, and there was quite a sweet, you know, tones about family and stuff like that in it. So, yeah, I was really impressed with it. To be fair, well, I probably won't watch it next year, but um, it was a surprise. It, it was certainly wasn't a waste of ninety minutes of my time, um, and that was the only really new Christmas film I watched this year. We um, we stuck to the Old Faithfuls, and, you know, Klaus was our Christmas Eve viewing, which I think is just tradition now. Um, but yeah, uh, your Christmas or mine was pretty, pretty damn good. I really enjoyed that film from Wolverhampton's own Tom Parry, which yeah. always helps, doesn't it, when it's a, a mm. local local lad done well. Uh, the one film that I enjoyed is very much that rich girl goes to Hicktown sort of film. It was called uh, My Southern Family Christmas <laughs> with. Um, 
Bruce Campbell was in it, which pretty much was the only reason I gave it a chance. And actually, I properly fell in love with it. I thought it was a beautiful little tale about lost family being refound and a new family being inherited. It was really sweet, really beautiful. So that was my... That one probably will be a, a bi-yearly film, I think. I really did think you were going to say, I believe in Santa. That is the worst piece of shit. <laughs> like, I mean, it, it won't be on next week when we do our bottom five films because I didn't have high hopes. But I'm certain that guy was a paedophile who was <laughs> to, to like Christmas to get like close to the kids. It's fucking horrendous. I mean, yeah. the biggest take of that is the fact that they are married in real life. It's it's it blows my mind. Yeah, I I'm certain she's at least his bearded cover for being a nonce. To be honest, he's got diddler eyes. Eh? That's, I think that's what it is. That they're gonna heavy set back in his head. Yeah, absolutely, all day long. <laughs> speaking of um, speaking of posh girl, posh girl in a hick town. Just want to give a shout out to Tara uh, over this uh, Christmas. She knows why. Um, yeah, you know. I hope she's doing all right. Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, get, in touch, get in touch with us if she needs anything. Yeah, yeah, that, that goes three times, absolutely. Right, so let's move on to our top fives. You know the score, we'll go around the table, five to two, honourable mentions, and then give our numero unos. Uh, we'll start off with my number five, which was Jackass Forever. I, I, I properly enjoyed this film. We spoke about it quite a bit early doors because it was one film I think we all went to see pretty much on its opening weekend. I think I went to see it two or three times at the cinema and I've watched it back at home since. What should ostensibly be a film about people being punched in the dicks and farting on each other ended up <laughs> being a movie about camaraderie and brotherhood and ended up having like a real sort of sweet nugget to all the, the silliness that was going around it. And it ended up just being a real joy to watch these Men who are older than us doing things that, you know, they shouldn't be doing. But it, it was wonderful fun. And yeah, I thought it was a great film that ended up having a lot more depth than it really should have done. Yeah, it was it was joint sixth on mine. It just, it just missed out. And like you said, you, you'd already seen it and then you came to watch it with me. And you were still laughing as much as I was. Yeah. It says a lot, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it, it was just, yeah. I think, I think you summed it up perfectly that it had no right being as good as it was, given the time the time that's lapsed and obviously things change and whatever. Um, and the new people felt like they belonged rather than just, oh, they, we're just here to tick boxes or whatever, like that you would in comedies these days. Yeah, superb, superb film. Yeah, it was a, it was a real um, success and it, it's... It wasn't just made for the sake of it, and there's still like a huge mainstream appeal for Jackass because, you know, they had one of the. Okay, it wasn't a stealing the show match because it was amazing technically, but I had a WrestleMania match out of it because, <laughs> to promote the film. But it was one of the best matches on the entire weekend because of just how fun and stupid and silly it was. But people lapped it up in their droves, and like Jackass still has a place in people's hearts, and this film wasn't a um cash grab's not the right word but it didn't feel like it was exploiting the jackass name or legacy it felt like it was adding to it mm, yeah absolutely uh matt your number five please uh my number five was the unbearable weight of mahusive talent um now 
you'd be forgiven for thinking, you know, you we would just have to watch this because it's Nick Cage, and then that would be that, and we'd like it just because it's Nick Cage. And you know, if you listen to the Picture Pod episodes, half the time we're not a fan of of his work. <laughs> but, do you know what I mean? So we're not like super fans by any stretch of the imagination. We are here to, um, as a public service, to find out if he's a good or bad actor or not. Um, but this genuinely was a great film. Um, it was funny where in in places where you didn't expect it to be funny and it was just it was a great surprise i think you know you know what you're getting with um, pedro pascal and the way that nicolas cage played himself was it 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 wasn't in I, I, it could have been really cringy and it just wasn't at all it was just tonally exactly where it needed to be and it had proper laugh out loud moments where um I just wasn't expecting it to be half as good as it was. Like it was a proper hit. And um, at the end of the day, it ended up being a massive relief because I thought it was going to be properly shite. But it was class. I really enjoyed it in the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really could have been um, like an absolute disaster showing of a film, couldn't it? Nick Cage, who's obviously got this reputation for being a big swinger, but he doesn't always necessarily hit whenever he swings for the fences. Um, but he did. He. he Caught it peach on this one. It, it was perfect. And I think having Pedro Pascal as his foil worked wonderfully. Um, like, I, I feel that Pedro Pascal's character will probably go down in cult history <laughs> a little bit. I think a lot of people will remember that character for all the, the joy that he brings because he's mm. quite a joyous character. And the, the heart that he brought to that role was just sort of beautiful. Their bromance was stuff of legend. Yeah, uh, I think it's weird with Pedro Pascal because obviously we watch this and it, he's quite a ridiculous character, and then obviously later on today when this goes out, you got him in in The Last of Us playing the complete opposite in the, <laughs> in the bleakest, depressing setting in the in the world possible. And yeah, I think we said it at the time, and it, it was the fact that we got Valley Girl references was enough for me. It was <laughs> superb, uh, and. Again, not knowing what it was really about, other than it was he was taking himself off, and it was a massive surprise. Yeah, fully deserved. Super, Stu, five, please. Now I'm guessing that neither of you have seen this one. <laughs> well, I know that Andy has never seen it, got no, no intention of ever seeing it anyway. Um, and it's Netflix's own All Quiet on the Western Front, which is a a water. <laughs> Quite brutal, horrible war film, but from the German point of view, which you we never get here. And if it's ever been made in mainstream before, I don't know. I, I know this is kind of if the, if there was a film years ago that it's a remake of, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just brilliant. And like I said before about watching films with subtitles, and obviously you're not going to watch this dub. I mean, you got to be some. You're going to be a bit tapped in the head if you're watching this dub, really, to be fair. Um, but it didn't really matter. You, you could probably watch it with no speech. You, you could just have it with just the German language and kind of get the feeling that it's just a guy, a few guys who just really don't want to be there, and they're there, and you can see they they get whooped up into the propaganda of the German war efforts and all this kind of stuff. And obviously they believe their government and they go along with what they say and then they, they go there and they get absolutely blown to bits and fucked over, so which is wonderful. Um, 
but yeah, it's visually stunning. Inc- strangely emotional as well, considering the side that they're on. Um, and it does show them as just, they were just kids as well. They were, they were just kids fighting a war that didn't have to happen and they didn't need to be there. But they believed it all. They signed up and you see what happens. It's on Netflix. It is two and a half hours long. Um, so a two and a half hour German subtitled film set in World War One is not something that <laughs> you associate with me on this, but there you are. World War Two, sorry. Um, so yeah, just go and watch it. Superb. It was a film that was on my, I wanted to watch before doing this podcast, but I, I ran out of time because, well, as I've said before, you know, war films generally aren't my thing. So it was always low down. It was one I wanted to give a watch to, but I just, I ran out of time. Um, I believe it is a remake, but I think the original is um, about the Western countries. I don't know if it was the Brits or the Americans or quite what, but I don't think it was about the Germans. Mm. Um it's kind of intriguing, really, because, as you say, we've never been told that story about how they got into these things. Um, obviously, as history is always told by the winners, it's all very much they were evil, that was why, and it's never quite that black and white. I suppose when you look to something like Jojo Rabbit, that's the closest we've had in a mainstream cinema. But even that is told by, I don't know, it's Taika Waititi, but it's a, quite an American cast. So it is one that's on my, you know, to-do list at some point. It's just not a priority. Uh, Moving on to my number four. It is a little film that I don't really think got a lot of coverage in the UK. Uh, It's called X. Uh, It's one that, oddly, me and Stu mentioned today, um, having not really spoke about it when it was out eight months ago. Um, (laughs) A wonderful, scuzzy little horror film that was such a lot of fun at the end of it all. Um, It stars Mia Goth as Maxine, who is this wannabe... Well, she's a porn star who wants to be more than... um, It's also got everyone's favourite crush at the moment. Jenna Ortega is also in it. Britney Snow's in it as well. It's written and directed by Ty West. And this group of... Well, porn stars and a porn director go to film a porno on the set of a old-fashioned hick town uh, farmyard. And whilst they're the owners of the farmyard, start to lose their minds a little bit and things just take a complete left turn. I went in thinking this is going to be a bit... I knew it was scuzzy from the, the trailers of it. It very much evoked that feel of 70s horror. I didn't think it would be anywhere near as good as it was, though. Like, it ended up having, like, quite a strong cast. I can't remember the two guys or any, but you would know their faces if you saw them. In fact, I think all of the cast was very much, oh, I know you from such and such a thing. Mm. And it was just this great little film that was made for peanuts, and now all of a sudden we're staring down the barrel of what could end up being one of the most fun trilogies that's going to be made. So after X was released, we had a film called Pearl, which was out... In America, it was out towards the tail end of last year. It's not out until, I think, March this year, which is a bit of a fuck-up, really, from the studios because it's available to stream. So if you've got a VPN, you've got access to the film. Um, But it was superb, and we've got Maxine, which is due out later this year as well. So I'm really stoked about this film getting 
the the nods that it's got in a lot of other people's top 20 top 10 lists of 2022 um i don't think enough people saw it and they really need to it was fantastic yeah i was only talking about this with my sister as well because she was saying well, i ain't seen any any kind of schlocky horror for a while and we was talking about obviously the quarry game on, on ps5 and xbox as well um which is very much for the teen horror i mean the the X is set in 1979, is it? I think um, so, yeah. Yeah, it's set in the 70s anyway, so they've got, obviously, it's just before, when you've you got the, the porn director and you've got the guy who thinks he's doing filming art <laughs> <laughs> and he, he wants to be a proper film film director and he's, like, doing it to get a leg up. There you go, or leg over. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I don't, I, I've got no idea why we'd never even talked about this at the time. Because it, it's it's one of them things where you think, oh yeah, we've we've watched these things before, we've watched them together, and something else must have come out on the same week, and it just got buried. That's, that's all I can think of. Um, because yeah. some of, some of the stuff in it is just outrageous, and let's, there's moments in there where you think it can't get any weirder than this, and then it does. Yeah. Yeah, but really not in a not in a kind of midsummer kind of levels of weird. It's just fucked up. Um, but it's all it's funny as well. Eh? It's funny at the same time. It, yeah. and it, it's it's deliberately made that way. And yeah, it was just it was superb. I think the name is a bit shit as well. Yes. Just, yeah, I'll, I'll give you that. It's it doesn't evoke anything. If it was triple X, because obviously it's about porn and dangerous shit going on. I get it. But X is neither here nor there. Yeah. Or not starting Xander Cage. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it could have been called like, X-rated or like, mm-hmm. the farm or something like that. Or just have a name that well, X. What the fuck's that? Yeah. Just yeah, bad name. Especially bad name, when great film. You've got Pearl and you'll have Maxine. So why not call it after one of the other female characters in the movie? Mm. Mm, yeah. Although I did read though after because I, I completely forgot about Pearl. Um, when I was reading about it at the time, that he the the guy <laughs> wrote Pearl when they had a break in film because of COVID. <laughs> so he's like, oh, well, well, it was it was never planned. He just had this idea and then asked her to asked her to stay on and film Pearl afterwards in the same time. Well, that's kind of genius. But it, having seen Pearl, it, it works really well. You wouldn't tell it was a. Obviously, it wasn't a rush job, but it was, you know, a bit of glue that just bound it all together by the, the sounds of it. Yeah, that's I'm what guessing... I, I don't even think of it was out yet. So that's that's why I hadn't seen it yet. Yeah, it, it's in cinemas in the UK, I believe, in March, um, just because they completely fucked up the, the release schedule. It's like they don't want to make money, honestly. It's ridiculous. I'm guessing this <laughs> one passed you by, Matt. Yeah, it did. Yeah, I mean, it sounds uh, like a pretty fun, um, like you know, B movie vibes and yeah, stuff yeah. like that. Um, I really want to try and put aside some more time to to catch up with some films and uh, in in twenty three. Um, it's been really hectic the last few months, so I haven't really got a chance to like tick any boxes of anything I've wanted to watch. I'm so far behind on like I've given up, as I mentioned a few months or two ago. Uh, I've given up on Marvel. Full stop. Now. It's liberating to do so as well. Uh, like, but like, I wanted to watch Rings of Power. I never got around to watching that um, like at all. So just boxing off a few things TV show-wise. But like Netflix, as I mentioned in the group chat, just has all of these like odd American cooking shows, reality TV <laughs> cooking shows. 
And I swore, I, that's what you need. I swore I wasn't going to watch anymore. And lo and behold, I'm on episode six of this cocktail making one. And yeah, like, I just can't. But it's like it's just the show that you put on when you're eating your tea, and then the second episode goes on so easily afterwards. And before you know it, you've watched the series and you're watching the next one. You know what's going to screw you even more? That Love Island's back next week. No, means nothing to me. Obviously. Yes, it does. You... Ne- never seen any of it. You know, you need to watch it. Have you seen the thing today that he came out? That, that, um, there's a Macclesfield play, play, really. Mm. That the, the, the Macclesfield released a press release out earlier. Um, so, yeah, we've, we've, we've given permission for Borat to go into Love Island. It's a great opportunity for him. Obviously, we'll, we'll, we'll miss him for a considerable period of time. <laughs> what the fuck's going on? Just unreal, isn't it? <laughs> Madness. Mm. I, I know what you mean, though. I feel like I watched no TV last year. So, like, the start of this year, I've managed to get through a couple of seasons of stuff that I've missed out on. So I finally managed to watch season six of Lucifer and most of the way through his Dark Materials. But these are all things that in previous years I would have watched as and when they came out. But, yeah, it's just finding time. And as we've said on this podcast before, like, there's more content now than there's ever been. Mm. And it's just so difficult, isn't it, to, to pick what's what's going to work for you. Correct, mm. correct. Yeah. So, uh, number four is you, please, Matt. Yeah, so um, I've had to chuck a couple of TV shows in here just because of the um, amount of... Sh- I'm more of a show kind of guy anyway. I can devote an hour more often than I can devote two hours, generally speaking. Um, <laughs> and it would have been the finale. Um, so, in general, the series, but the finale of Peaky Blinders, um, of this series, series six, I think it was. Um still bearing the scars of line of duty um i was really trepidatious of of how this was going to end and it being the end of the show and knowing they were making a film out of it wondering how they would tie up the loose ends and what they would do with it and they carried a storyline i mean are you have either of you seen peaky blinders the end or we're going to watch not it yet or... i will no, i will watch it i think okay i won't go into detail then but they that they there's a theme that goes throughout the entire series that very much dictates the end of the show and I can't say anything more about it but it's just it's just delivered so well um and and the t the film that comes on the back of it quite literally could be open to anything in terms of uh how they want to take it and it's really set up in intrigue so you know, the line of duty, bad taste in the mouth where you never really got the ending that you wanted. And now they've come out and said that they're doing three more episodes or whatever it is, Um, which I think that that ship sailed now. That horse has bolted on line of duty. I feel, I think people have like the goodwill that came with that TV show. I really feel he's out the window after speaking to some people about it. Um, Peaky Blinders ending. It was just superb. Like I, I was at a genuine rare time. I was in, I was, gobsmacked and really impressed with how a show has ended so perfectly. Now, I, I vaguely remember the build-up to the finale that... I don't, I can't remember if Stu was watching it or not, but I remember you, Matt, thinking that the season itself didn't really kick off until pretty much until yeah. it ended. Pretty, you're, no, you're right. Like Episode one to, 1 to 3 was quite ponderous, um, and it... You, I think it, it lacked a direction, really. 
but then like the last few episodes really ramped up and and, and it was a crescendo as opposed to uh, you know a whimper so um you know if peaky blinders is your thing you know don't be put off because at one point i was going to not bother watching it i was like this is probably shit this is <laughs> um but the ending the ending really made up for it okay well speaking of endings the walking dead ended last year have either of you two completed that show no i'm still i'm yeah. still um in whatever the city is with princess in the box whatever christ her name is <laughs> so no so you've got probably about a season i think to go because i know the last season and a bit was messed up because of covid stuff that it wasn't released on the schedule it's supposed to be uh, Stu, what did you think of the ending of TWD, the main world? Um, it, I say it wrapped things up nicely. It wrapped that story up nicely, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, it can clearly go on forever, as as he, he always said it could. Um, it was a nice place to leave where it was, where it was at, and I thought. The last two years have been superb. Look, we've we've said in there before that it, it got very much back to its best after some really shit years. Um, there were people who stuck with it. Then we got a decent payoff, I think, in the end. Um, I, I I liked it, and in a way, it kind of made makes me want to go and watch the others now. Like mm. I watched I watched three series of Fear, um, enjoyed it as well. It was not nowhere near as good, um, but it, again, it was enjoyable to watch. Again, it just get lost, get left by the wayside with everything else, and the same as the other one. And then there was Tales of, which I watched four episodes of. So there's plenty of Walking Dead out there to catch up with, um, mm. and the Telltale games are superb as well in their own little universe. So yeah, I think to end it like they did, yeah, very good. Um, it was the right time to do it. Yeah, agreed. I liked that it, it wasn't a over the top ending. Like sometimes with endings, they go real balls out and it, it's too much. This felt very much in keeping with the rest of the story and I think it worked really well. I'm actually excited to see what's going to happen in some of the spin-offs. Originally, I was very much like, I'm, I'm done with that world, but actually the, the Negan spin-off, I quite want to see what's going to happen in post-apocalyptic New York. I'm, I'm kind of intrigued in what's what the future holds now. Mm. Um, which isn't something I thought I would have said, to be perfectly honest. But it, I think it did a good job seeing the uh, the, the series off. Um, moving on to your number four, please, Stu. Well, like Matt said about people's um, people's lust for things and and talking to people and people not being that bothered about certain things. Um, I think people will watch Line of Duty, to be fair. Just going back to that a minute. Just because, I mean, I said it at the time, there is no way this is the ending because it made no sense. Um, right on that episode after the week after the finale went out, I said it on here. There's no way that that's the ending. It, it makes sense in a retrospective way, but that is not the end. And lo and behold, it came out and said, yeah, we'll do God, how much more. But you both poo-pooed this wonderful piece of art that is Avatar The Way of Water. Um, 1.8 billion now, <laughs> which is. <laughs> I know I said it, there was an appetite out there in our in our blue world with, amongst us, and the silent minority that of Avatar fans who talk about it. Um, people love this film, man. It's 
it's on, it's number four. It's it story wise, it's as it's as vanilla, vanilla as you want, but that's not really the point. And I know that sounds ridiculous at a three hour fifteen minute film. <laughs> um, it, it's the films on this list this year. I just put down what made me actually feel something or that had an impact on me. I came out of this thinking I need to go and watch this again <laughs> straight away. And like we said at the time, when we were talking about it before and then on the Christmas episode of me kind of talking about Avatar nonstop, um, if you like the first one, you'll like this. If you didn't like the first one, there's probably no point because you're not going to be converted by this. It's all the criticism of the final act, which is the final hour-ish. I can see where they're coming from, but that's coming from people who don't like it. If you like it, that final hour was, was fucking awesome. Um, but again, it's it's blockbuster cinema. It's a showpiece. It's a technological marvel. It's all the things that you want to watch on the biggest, baddest screen possible. IMAX 3D for this. Did not have eye strain. Did not have ear ache with the glasses on. None of it. Didn't feel, it felt a bit two, two and a bit hours long for me. Everyone who's seen it that I've spoken to in person and on Twitter loves it. But they're just, it's the same thing. You look at, you watch it. If you watch it on a cam, then there's no point. Just don't bother. If you're going to watch it at home, just wait for a, a, the proper, for a 1080p at least, um, because it's not going to do it justice. I mean, the, the, the underwater stuff is obviously it's never been done before. He invented the technology himself just to get it to, to even work. Um, but it's just, it's visually stunning and there's never been anything like it before. Even the first one. The first one was breakthrough with the 3D and stuff. You watch it without 3D, it's not really the same. That's even me, me saying that. It's, it's, it's designed for a purpose. That purpose works. This is designed to show off and it shows off. It's interesting because I've obviously I listen to a lot of other podcasts, uh, film critics and stuff. Even the the few, because I've got to be honest, there aren't many who who I listen to who've spoken highly about this film. But the few who've said who've given it praise, there's been absolutely nothing about it that's made me even slightly interested, which kind of surprises me that it just I don't know what it is. There's absolutely nothing about this movie that makes me want to go and see it. <laughs> Matt, like, have you heard anything at all about this film that changes your mind about maybe giving it a go? No, no, and I and I think in a in a non cine world, unlimited card holder world that I'm in, there's no way I'm spending like twenty quid to go mm. watch it in all its glory because that's what it needs. And I totally agree with Stu in that if you're going to do it, do it right and do it with all the bells and whistles and see how it was intended to be seen. But to average Joe blogs, that's a 20 quid ticket oh, going on your own. And unless you've got a, you know, a missus that's into film as much as mad as you to be willing to spend 20 quid, you're then going to have to pay for her. And then you're going to have to get, you're talking a 50 pound evening to go watch Avatar. Mm. <laughs> going to be out of your fucking mind. Like not a chance. See, so they, they just, fought like, for equal rights, get it to pay for herself. Well, this is the thing. I wouldn't, I, you know, in a in in a in a consensual relationship, I wouldn't force anybody to go see it 
Um, but <laughs> it's just, it's, it's just no, it's just not. If I if I had the pass, if I had the unlimited pass, I'd have spent the seven quid uplift or whatever it was, and I probably would have gone and seen it on a on a, a one of the you know my weekend days on my own that I get. Um, but no, it's just it's not for me. I'm not going to come on. You know, this is the year of the humbling. There are a few films that came out that that you know I thought were going to be awful and weren't, or weren't be a success that was. Um, but at the same time, it's just. Allow people to enjoy what they enjoy. And if I've got nothing good to say, I won't say anything at all. That's basically how I feel about Avatar. <laughs> I think that's fair. Um, like I expected it to do well. I, I got to admit, I didn't expect it to be pushing on two bill within a month. Like that is an astounding achievement. And I'm kind of glad that we've had it, even if it's not a film for me. I'm glad that the cinemas have had this movie make that kind of money. Mm. That's fantastic. After the last couple of years where they've really struggled, fair box to them. They've done great with this one. I mean, he kind of he kind of proved everyone wrong. That like everyone said, "Oh, cinema's dead. No one wants this stuff anymore." And yeah, obviously, the new well, it could be too built. Well, if you count this weekend in last weekend when you hear this as well, it's more than likely going to be past two billion by that point. Mm. And. Obviously, the, it's inflated slightly because the tickets are more expensive if you do it properly. But still, to I mean, we was the one that we went in. We were the Monday, <laughs> um, the tale of the group, the fancast group chat with this film, <laughs> and that just to put it into perspective, people. I obviously, being the lover of these of Avatar that I am, I decided after I saw one small that wasn't even. It was something that happened in the first 15 minutes of the film in the end that someone had t- someone hadn't even mentioned me or anything i just saw it by mistake on twitter so i decided to just go dark so i went dark which meant muting all group chats and everything and matthew here took it upon himself to ring me after two days to see if i was in an, i was still alive <laughs> because no one had heard from me and all because i went dark because of avatar <laughs> I thought you were dead. I don't know if you totally like it. It was so unusual for you to be so quiet. And I was like, is Stu okay? Is this like, are we going to find his body being eaten alive <laughs> in, in a bush, in a, in a hedgerow? And, and it, um, it wasn't even being quiet, though. It was sending messages and they weren't turning blue because he obviously hadn't got his phone. <laughs> so, like, to all intents and purposes, he could have been dead. <laughs> Prior prison, <laughs> and I swear, um, and I swear, you never told us either that you were going dark. No, well, no. I, I thought two days later he's back, <laughs> <laughs> and I was vindicated because I, I, if someone had spoiled any of that film for me, I would have been really pissed off. But I did go and watch it on the Monday. The point was, it came out on the Thursday fr- slash Friday. I watched it on the Monday, so I had the weekend to avoid things. So took in three, four days. The screening we were in, there were probably f- four fifths full on a Monday night in Telford at eighteen quid a ticket for normal people, seven quid for uplift, uplift. and even I was astonished by that. And for people to say, oh, "People don't want cinema anymore," give them something that they want, and they'll go and watch it. 
and there's I'm sure well I know there is because it's on my list. There's two other films on here as well that prove that the same thing. You give people what they want, they will go to the cinema. You give them, and I'm going to mention the W word. If you give them wild tick boxy bollocks that no one wants and no one cares about, or superhero films that have dropped off a cliff, they won't go, will they? Simple as that. So you give people what they want, and it's good quality, and it deserves the praise. You get the money back, and they more than have. So there we are. Moving on to number three. Uh, we're skipping over my choice at number three. We'll speak about it in a minute. It is The Batman. Matt? Uh, my number three, we refer to my list because I think I uh, I made a last minute change. Um, I had a last minute change of heart because um, one thing that I completely forgot about uh, made my list in the end. But um, <laughs> one of the films I was really looking forward to, and it's the first of the things on my list, which like Stu was very much, a, it, it, it meant something to me, it hit home and it was an experience that I really enjoyed. Um, and that was Elvis, um, the Elvis uh, biopic. Um, firstly, it wasn't, it wasn't, I had not, because I'd not looked into it at all. See, the, see one of the trailers, and obviously Tom Hanks is narrating in it as Colonel Parks. And that's, that's, was that, but it was, it was that unreliable narrator throughout, which I wasn't expecting. And it was just this massively colourful, um, you know, not painting Elvis to be the hero necessarily because it was in the viewpoint of, of Tom Hanks's character. And it was just this like this, this rambunctious overindulgent Lerman piece of, I, I wouldn't say art, but it was just, it was just so over the top and colorful and bright. You could like at times mistake it for being like a K-pop movie. Because <laughs> um, it was just like so over the top, but I just loved it. I loved everything about it, and like I've seen it since. And you know, I've, I've seen it with my mom, um, who's a huge Elvis fan. Is the reason why I'm into Elvis, and um, she just loved it. Like she's seen it probably like about ten times since, and seeing the joy when I talked to her about it made me enjoy it even more. And you know, it's it's not going to be for everybody, and you know, like Andy's dislike of Rahimi Rhapsody, and I think. We've almost run its course now of these musical biopics. I think that fad is coming and going pretty quickly. This one for me will stand the test of time because of its 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 colourfulness and its exciting. It's just it's just it's just an all round like quite not adrenaline rush, but it was a sensation. It had it had it had feeling in it, and I really enjoyed it. Mm, I, I think. I, I went in expecting it to be like the John Carpenter, Kurt Russell, Elvis biopic. And it ended up being Moulin Rouge, obviously, because it's Baz Luhrmann, the, the Moulin Rougeification of Elvis's story. And actually that made it so much more interesting than if it was just a straight telling of this is what Elvis did when he was a child and then what he yeah, did when yeah, he was yeah. a teenager. It, it ended up adding so many more layers of balls to the wall funness to it. And at the end of it, it was it was a fun. It felt like a roller coaster ride as much as it did a film because th there was that adrenaline adrenaline rush to it. Like you did feel like it, you were going at breakneck speeds at parts, and then mm -hmm. right at the end, they slam the brakes on when his life starts to slow down and changes. And I think the way that they paced out that film was really well done. It was really interesting. 
and when you compare it to something like Bohemian Rhapsody, which is pretty much a straight retelling, a false retelling of what actually happened within their lives, it blows it out of the water because it is mm-hmm. so much more interesting. This is closer to, I think, Rocket Man, which I thought was a tremendous film, than it is to your Whitney Houston and, and Queen biopics. Um, and it's all the better for it, I think. Mm, yeah, I completely agree. Shu, I, obviously we saw it together. I, you enjoyed the, the film, if I remember correctly. Well, the fact that we didn't even talk for a, bit, a couple of minutes when we walked out after, I thought that was a masterpiece. And it was. It, it's it's unfortunate not to get on, on, on my list because I did think about it in what I said earlier about when you feel something. And I really, didn't really care about Elvis, you know, to be honest. Um, but this made me do. It did make me <laughs> think. And it, for that month after, I did listen to a lot of Elvis stuff, um, funnily enough. And there was a kind of newfound appreciation for him after watching that, which I... I know you take reality in the film as a pinch of salt, but a lot of that seemed to be accurate anyway. Um, and the performances were superb all round. And I think I liked it more, the fact that it wasn't necessarily an Elvis film. It was more about Tom Hanks' Fat Man um, <laughs> and how devious and evil he was than than Elvis himself, which is, what again, unexpected with the, the, um, the writer point that Matt said. Didn't know that was going to be a thing. Going in. So, again, caught a bit off guard and loved it. And I haven't watched it since. I, I know we, we talked at the time that I, I was going to go back the week after with mum and she beat me to it and went, <laughs> went with Steve instead. So, um, it's almost like one of them where it, it deserves to, to gain a place on the Blu-ray shelf just for the audio <laughs> on, it, on its own um, mm-hmm. because I thought that was superb. It's a shame because I, I can't remember, but because there are some original tracks on there which are mixed with the Elvis ones, but they won't be eligible for Oscars, even though they're technically original tracks because they've got the older stuff on there that's that pre-exists. It won't be eligible for consideration, which seems really unfair because it was an mm. excellent soundtrack. I thought it was really just mixing some of the modern day hip hop with the old Elvis stuff. It shouldn't work, but it, I thought it really did. And again, that was something else that added to the film and, and made it something a lot more. Uh, number three for you, please, Joe. Yeah, well, we know what it is because you've already you've already said it. It's <laughs> the, uh, the Dark Knight cross with Nirvana that is the Batman. <laughs> again, <laughs> didn't expect it, had no right being as good as it was. Um, didn't feel as long as it was. But just let's say a wonderful experience. It wasn't because it, it was it was sad and it was as emo and depressing at points as as you could possibly get. But I can't think of a Batman film that felt as raw and real as this was. Mm. And yeah, it was the fights and every punch punch actually landing and you've kind of how it was framed and you kind of felt it even in the, the Dark Knight where the the gold medal standard of Batman films up until this. I know we said at the time that this could rival it. I don't think, looking back now over time, I don't think it's probably as good as The Dark Knight. But again, you shouldn't compare the two because they're completely different films. 
Um, but I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I didn't think I would. Mm, it was. It was. It felt like an art house film that was yeah. a th- three hour long comic book movie like that. That doesn't work, but it somehow did. Um, I went to see, I think it was three times in the opening four days. <laughs> I think I went on the Thursday night with Matt to go with you on the Friday, Stu. And then I went with my other half, Katie, on the Sunday. And then I was in New York, so I couldn't go again for a while. So, but yeah, like three times the opening weekend. I, I absolutely loved it. One thing I, I really loved about this film, especially compared to other, not only other Batman, but other superhero films, it felt like there was an actual arc to his character. He was this dark and broody man who felt like he was doing right by the city, but realises that his method didn't work because it was influencing people the wrong way. He was actually influencing people to become vigilantes rather than to become heroes. And I feel like at the end, he sees the light, quite literally sees the light when he comes out of the, the building into the sunshine. And it's, like you don't get to see that story arc in comic book movies, so for them to have done that here, I thought was really clever and something quite unique. It was as much it, it felt almost a Superman film about the the ray of light that is Superman. Um, you always associate Batman with the shadows, but they actually managed to use that to their benefit. I feel, and it worked perfectly. I didn't um, put this on my list. Um... I think I probably thought this was in 2021, like the end of 21, but um, it felt like a lifetime ago since we saw the Batman, to be honest. Um, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a great film. The, probably the first time I've cared about Bruce Wayne and Batman as, as a character mm. for a long time. Um, as much as Christian Bale was great in that trilogy, like it's not about him. He's, he's, He's there as a necessity more than anything. Whereas I really cared about um, Battinson. Um, and I thought it was a great film. Um, I think a part of this is self-preservation because I want them to leave this film alone as a one, as a one shot deal. I don't want them to do any more with it because mm. I don't, I don't know how, I don't know how they can take this on now without it being silly. They're doing like Mister Freeze, mm, as the nah. rumor is. Like how, like, like I don't know how this world, this universe, doesn't. I don't. They, they can't keep it like the same. All the good things about this film now, the tonally and about you know the the coming out of Batman. And that's not the, the phrase, but you know what I mean. Like like him realizing who he is, etc. That's done now, and it was done massively well. I just worry that the next one, it just it won't have the same. You just won't feel the same, and it will descend a little bit into just more of your Hollywood plodding dross. Mm. I think they'll probably go down the so the origin story of the villains kind of thing and do the same kind of thing for them, even though they really didn't do that with this one. Um, that's probably the only way to do it, and. A bit like, or they do it the other way and, and go like the Joker is and just completely flip it on its head and do something completely different, which I don't think would work with this at all. But I was like that for a long time. I thought, nah, leave this as it is. Don't mess. Just it's perfect. But I want more now. <laughs> the greed sets in. Um, there's more of this 
kind of grittiness be- before it gets ribboned. And it seems like they're not going to exploit it and they'll do it properly. So that, that's, yeah. my, that's my only hope for it, that the, the people in charge seem to know what they're talking about and they know what they're doing and they've got morals. And the fact that they've made it, like Andy said, a three-hour comic book film that's actually a comic book <laughs> and feels like one like this and got away with it and, it and it's been successful, why would anyone meddle with that to do another one? Yeah, and and by all accounts, um, Matt Reeves, the writer director, he didn't want them to fold it into the the wider DCEU. He wanted mm. this to be his own thing, and he's apparently, according to Twitter earlier today, Matt Reeves is currently part way through working on the script. So I feel that if as long as it's in the right hands, I've got faith in Matt Reeves that he's not going to fuck it up, and we'll end up with Man Bat next time out because. <laughs> Because at that, at that point, <laughs> once you cross over into the supernatural, there's no coming back for that series. And mm. that's where the Dark Knight trilogy, I think, worked quite well, is they kept it within the realms of its own world. Um, as long as it does that, yeah, I'm, I'm fairly confident we'll be okay with this. I this is why... I, I don't know why, but the Batman being part of that at all has always pissed me off. Like he doesn't feel right that he, however ridiculous some of the villains are and whatever, that he should be part with the Superman and the, the Green Lantern and all that kind of nonsense. It just doesn't seem... I mean, maybe because it's, it's the film with like the Burton ones and what we've been brought up with, but it seems like Batman v Superman or whatever the, that stupid film was called in the end. Um, it just, so, just seeing them together just seemed weird. And the Martha, Martha stuff aside, um, it never felt right to me. So Batman being left alone on its own little world is perfectly fine by me. Yeah, I think you touched on it there that we've never had a Batman on screen that is the Bat God, which effectively is what he is in the comic books. So you see a man stun, stood with gods. That doesn't compute. Whereas in the comic books, it does because they've built his character up. Mm. So when you do see him stood against Superman, you think, well, what are you literally, what are you going to be doing here, mate? You should just <laughs> be making the tea for the rest of them sort of thing. But th- that's why is that we've never had the backstory given enough credence to, to really push them on. Uh, my number two, we're going to skip over, and I'm not going to tell you what it is because I don't want to spoil the number ones. So, Matt? Uh, well, mine would have been um, the, the the great humbling of 2022, the original humbling of 2022, and I think uh, I was clashed with Stu on this, uh, and it would be Top Gun. Yeah, Top Gun Maverick, which is, who called it? Who called it from the start? You both th- you both said there's no market for this. There's no no one wants this. There's no audience. And I said you you just wait. These people again, very similar to Avatar. They're just silent. They just don't. They're just not on the socials. Mainly because they're a lot older <laughs> in this film's case. Um, but people genuinely love Top Gun. And again, <laughs> kind of like you end. The thing is, Top Gun, yeah, the original is not a good film. Well, that's debate. So, 
<laughs> so this is why, like, I just think think like there was there was there was that greater greater appetite for this, but you can't put a you can't put a price on stupid, or you can't put a figure on stupid. Like this, like people, you know, people love people love nostalgia and people love um, people love that feeling of, of of you know, and it's just coincidental that Maverick was was a really great film. It was it was it was excellent, stunning like visuals and heart like, for your chest kind of thing. Um, it was just I was really surprised like, how much I enjoyed it and how much of an adrenaline rush it was because you know maybe you know I think Top Gun is just a victim of time and that we've moved on from the silliness of it. Like whereas Maverick, it 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 was just from start to finish. I, it was like being on coke, <laughs> basically. <laughs> it was just it, like it was just it was just so balls to the wall, adrenaline rush, and it was great. And I'm really, I was really pleasantly surprised and shocked, and, and glad to be wrong about it. Hmm. Yeah, it, it was. I mean, fair play to the the, the crazy bastards who went and watched this in 4DX. You know, <laughs> I know it was made for 4DX as well. And like we said, but there was no way I was doing that. No way. No, not a chance. <laughs> but I think Top Gun was a product of its time, like you said. But because I like what I said at the time, I watched Top Gun for years. So I grew up, pretty much grew up watching Top Gun. So it was all, I was always kind of in the zeitgeist. I was part of it back then as a kid. And it is a kid's film. It's incredibly gay and camp, which is why it's wonderful. Maverick... <laughs> Is a perfect love letter to that film, and a superb film in its own right. And like those people say, oh, I was in the pub and I said, so, oh, have you have you been to watch Top Gun Maverick? Why would I watch that? The volleyball scene. It's, it's nothing to do with that. So you could watch this film on its own without even seeing the first one. Yeah, and it, it saying that now to someone, it's probably for the best if you watch this on its own without the first one because they tell you the story anyway. <laughs> You don't need to. I mean, I'd watch. I watched the first. Obviously, I watched the original again before I went in, and I kind of wish I hadn't. Why? Because I, I'd only watched it the year before, and I probably watched it about ten, about twenty times in my life, or whatever. But there was no need. They they did it so well to build the characters up and to build the story up in the opening forty minutes or whatever of Maverick that. I can't think of a, a sequel that's ever done it that well before. Where it gets to the stage where you do not need to have seen the first film. And it was genuinely one of the, you know, I knew I'd love it anyway. I mean, it was one of them because you couldn't escape it that they showed a 10 minute, 10 minute scene from it months before. And I was in there. So I couldn't even do the death thing because it was, um, it was way too loud. And I thought, this has got a chance, you know. And I even I even contemplated buying Ace Combat again. I ain't done that since the nineties, <laughs> just to just to fly planes around on my telly, just because I loved it so much. And it, yeah, it was for a long, long time. This was my number one film of the year, and I didn't think it'd be beaten, just because of how much I loved it. And I think for for Avatar: The Way of Water to even come close and then obliterate its box office already after such a short amount of times speaks volumes for that and the fact that this being the first real proper 
proper entertainment blockbuster film post COVID to do what it did. Fair fucks, man. And this it'll live on. We don't need it. We don't need more. We don't need a sequel, even though we, obviously we can. I think it'd be bad if they did now because it's yeah. this is this was perfect. Completely agree. I think this benefited from the fact that it was both a sequel to Top Gun and also not really a sequel to Top Gun. So you had the people who were there for that nostalgia hit because they loved the original Top Gun, even though, as Matt rightly points out, it is a bit shit. But actually, once they were in the cinema and saw it, it was actually just a really fucking good movie. And then that got the word of mouth so that people who didn't care about the first film, they would then go and see Top Gun Maverick. Mm-hmm. Realistically, Maverick isn't a sequel to the original Top Gun. It just shares the same characters. That's pretty much everything about it. Because all the story and everything else is very, very standalone. And that to, to its benefit, I think, it works really well. And like you said, the sound effects and everything with it, I imagine seeing it in 4DX would be incredible but also would make me want to vomit at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, great film, great film. A couple of honourable mentions before we move on to our number ones. And I've got a couple of what some of our listeners have sent in as well. Um, Honourable mentions, I've only got two. Glass Onion, which was released just before Christmas. It's had a week in the cinema and then it was on Netflix. I think it was probably the best film produced by a streaming company in 2022 i thought it was really good fun i like a film noir and they did find quite an inventive way of twisting it all around i love ryan johnson i think he's a great director um and obviously he's got big dave batista in it and as we've discussed at length i loved it big dave batista so yeah glass onion i think if you've got a couple of hours free and you want a good murder mystery check that one out and the other film i wanted to mention was bodies 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 hmm. This film had pretty much no big name actors within its cast, apart from Pete Davidson. And if your big name actor in a film is Pete Davidson, you're probably not onto a winner with that movie. But somehow they managed to deliver this really smart and slick horror that achieved this this feat of being both a really good story, but also a parodic takedown of the generation z zoomer kids like it was really fun and funny and silly and a little bit scary and that's what i want from my horror it gave me a bit of everything and it was it was wonderful incredibly clever as well yeah it was it it was really smart and i i did not figure it out at all until the very last (laughs) second I, i loved it i really loved it yeah matt have you got any honorable mentions yeah, Glass Onion for me is an honourable mention. It's it, I literally saw it about three, three or four days ago. So I think it's it's just too soon for it to break the top five. I really didn't like the start of it. I didn't like the tone of it or anything, but it really grew on me as the as the film went on. Um, Benoit Blanc is <laughs> fast becoming one of my favourite ever film characters. Just he was more silly in this one. Um, it, it was, but actually showing his weakness and his vulnerability and his frustration and his emotion, as opposed to being just a cold stone, pretty deadpan detective as in the first one, um, gave his character 
a bit more depth, even though I, I saw one review that was said, oh, so the only glass in Glass Onion, the only character development for Benoit is that he's gay. Like, <laughs> that's like the only, Possib- only character possibly development. Gay. Possibly gay. Um, but it's, um, it, uh, it was great. It, it was really good fun. And there was a few moments, you know, it didn't have the, oh, I've solved it element that I had from the first mm-hmm. um, Knives Out. Like, it, it doesn't require you. It's not a traditional murder mystery in that sense, like a whodunit as such. It's more an unraveling of the plot as it goes on. So that's why I don't think it was as good as the first one. But it was still a it was still a, a, a great ride. But only because I've seen it so recently, I don't think I could, you know, throw it in my list. And and the other was Prey, the Predator uh-huh. Prey. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, in the same way that. Stu mentioned earlier, this is like as close to a love letter as the original, um, you know, the first Arnie one. Um, and it, but it had its own unique story as well with an absolutely great um, female lead and the way that they, you know, didn't utilize modern day technology or weaponry to fight the Predator. It was just fantastic. I really enjoyed it. And, and it, it, it came around pretty much out of nowhere. Like, like, Barely anybody knew it even existed before it was released. Um, and it was a big surprise because of that, that it was as good as it was. Mm. Uh, just speaking to Glass Onion, I think much like Top Gun Maverick, it's not a sequel to the first film. No, it's not. It, it's very much its own thing, which I think, again, works quite well for it. That's why tonally it's very different to Knives Out. But they're two films I would recommend to absolutely anybody to watch. Stu, honourable mentions? I mean, everything you've both said was on my list anyway. Um, <laughs> there, there is more, though. Um, it's a little bit of the, the, keeping with the horror thing. Barbarian, although, again, wonderful. Yeah. Didn't... Went in knowing what it tells you. Thoroughly shocked, thoroughly surprised. Very, very entertaining. Don't I, I don't want to say anything because you don't... No. The, just, the less just, you know, the better. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And that's not even me being, oh, avoid all trailers kind of <laughs> OCD about these things. It's genuinely just going with an open mind, two people booking an Airbnb at the same time. That's all you need to know. And it's horror. And it's it's fun as hell. Uh, <laughs> this has got panned by quite a lot of people. And I don't know why, because I thought it was similar to Glass Onion. I thought it was silly stupidness. Amsterdam. I really enjoyed it, and I'm guessing by the look on Andy's face, it could be on the worst list next week. I haven't seen it. Oh, because of the review, so I'm quite surprised you've mentioned it. If you like, if you like them to nose out and glass onion, I can't see how you can't like Amsterdam. Okay, it's very similar vibes. It's a bit more stupid and ridiculous, but it kind of plays on it. I don't know why. It's been panned by so many people. I, I don't get it. Maybe it's just because I was in a happy mood watching it and I wasn't depressed or whatever. But it, it, I just, it was just fun. Was can, nice I, can I can I interrupt you for one second because this is this is this is poetic. This is because I was just googling while you were talking, um, looking ahead to next week's worst films of twenty. I know, I know, I know. And and I want to give you just a little read of the first review. <laughs> I know it's going to say Amsterdam. I know. An awful movie can be boring, or it can be paralyzingly, head-scratchingly, what-the-fuck incoherent. 
or it can be whimsically annoying and in love with that very aspect of itself. David O. Russell's bizarre fiasco manages the dubious distinction of being all three at once. Yeah, <laughs> it is. But th- this is my point, though. I can. <laughs> it's all of them things, but in a good way. <laughs> I, d- I don't know what it's on. I will sit through obvious other beans. But I didn't know what to expect other than a lot of people had panned it. But a few people had said they really enjoyed it, which obviously. Got me intrigued, thinking, well, I know some well, you both put Avatar on your worst of, worst of the year if you'd watched it. But that doesn't mean I didn't like it. I thought it was as it, it deserves its place on that kind of shout out list. It's not in the top five at all, but it, it was interesting. And there's a lot of films on here. And there's one in particular that has gone on a lot of things that is going to be on my, my worst next week. That's on a lot of people's top fives. We'll say that till then. But like stupid things like Uncharted and Moonfall, where you just turn your mind off and whatever. Lost City, there's loads of them. Amsterdam was. I was sitting there with a smile on my face throughout the whole thing, and yet it is completely ludicrous and stupid. But I really enjoyed it. In the same way that I enjoyed Chippendale and Sonic Two, but they're not they're not going to get on the top five. But they were just really fun. Yeah, I, I think with Amsterdam, there's a certain sect of people who've turned against David O. Russell as a director. Like, I really enjoyed American Hustle, but a lot of people now sort of poo-poo that one a little bit. I think there's an element of that with it. Oh, has he been um, cancelled? He hasn't been cancelled. I think people just think he's a bit of a hack. So I think there's that. Like, you know how people, like Forrest Gump, which, like I've mentioned several times for some <laughs> reason today, um, you know how a lot of people the attitudes towards that film have changed quite a bit over the years. I feel there's a, a reappraisal of David O. Russell as a director. I still like American Hustle, to be perfectly honest. I don't see what a lot of people have turned against, but I think there is that that element to it, maybe. But who knows? Um, so some of the films that some of our listeners have mentioned, Matt Cunnington did mention Amsterdam, Prey and Glass Onion. So I think he's on similar wavelengths to there ourselves. Uh, Nate from uh, the Neo Neophytes um, podcast, Nope, the uh, Jordan Peele film. Um, mm. I, I enjoyed it. it. It just wasn't Get Out or Us. Yeah. That's the only reason it didn't make my list is I had really high hopes that it didn't quite hit. Dave, uh, Dave Evans, who's obviously been on this podcast a couple of times, Doctor Strange 2, which was uh, an unexpected win yeah. for me, to be honest. Uh, and Ash Dolan, another uh, long-time guest of ours, Bullet Train was. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Picks. Well, Bullet Train, Bullet Train deserves to be in the in the same shout-out list as Lost City and Uncharted. Silly fun yeah. nonsense, mindless fun. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. completely agree. Uh, right, so we'll move on to our number ones. My number one is The Banshees of Inner Sharing, which I do not think is a surprise because I've obviously extolled virtues of this film quite considerably um i think in years to come this will be one of the films that will be on like the sight and sound top 100 films the next time they do it in a a decade's time i think this could be one of the few films from 2022 which will still get that recognition um obviously we've got colin farrell who i did not expect to be in two of my favorite films of 2022 like he becomes something of a bit of a parody of an actor 
Like he'd appear as himself in something and be a bit smug and smarmy because that's what you associate with him. But the way he plays Podrick as this downbeaten simpleton who's just lost his best friend for no real reason other than his best friends have been a bit of a cunt for some reason. It, it was beautiful and sad and heartbreaking. And then when he tells that stranger that he needs to go home because his mom's died, and he just shows this darkness. Like, it's it's such a thickly dark comic film, which I think, to be fair, is what you expect from Martin McDonough movies. Like, Three Billboards is about a mom surviving the rape and murder of her daughter and there's still comedic elements to it. Like that's a Marty McDonough film. And he really managed to bring this into this film. This to me feels like one of the films that achieves that rare feat of both being elitist. So your snobby critics will like it, but it's also quite populist. I think, you know, absolutely anyone can watch this and take something away because you all understand what it's like to be slighted for no reason other than, shit happens in life sometimes and I, I loved it for it I thought it was an absolute wonder the technical side of it like the actual filming of it based on the small island which name evades me at the moment it was really beautifully shot it was really well the landscapes were gorgeous Barry Keonis the, the idiot in the village was absolutely hilarious and again heartbreaking it was wonderful. I genuinely think he's going to win the Best Supporting Actor Award. I think he's going to be up for several Oscars. Like I know we're still a couple of months away, but I can see Martin McDonough going one better and actually winning an Oscar this time, probably for Best Original Screenplay, I think. But yeah, I think it's. I think it was a masterpiece. I really, really enjoyed this. When I said that there was going to be a film that was on my worst five list, Next week. <laughs> this was the biggest pile of shit I've ever seen in my entire life. Next to The Last Picture House. Everything you just said, mm. I completely agree with. This is the this is the the <laughs> the weird tapestry of my mind. Everything you just said, can't argue with. Performances, setting, everything. Superb. I was so bored. So so bored that even the whole phone thing, turning my phone, I put it in the corner. So, getting the clock, turn the clock around so I couldn't see what time it was. I had so many itchy finger moments watching this. And the bit where, when he, he tells the, he tells the kid, the guy that he, his mum has died just because he's getting, he's, he's befriending him on that horse, on that cart. That was, I laughed at that. And obviously what happens when he threatens him, not talking to him afterwards. Mm-hmm. I'd still tell people to go and watch it. I mean, I told my mom to go and watch it because I said, you'd probably find this interesting. But it was, I was fucking bored. <laughs> I, I re, I, and again, I watched it because so many people was talking about it. So it was on the, loads of people's top five. And I know Nate put it on Twitter that it was in his top five. And I know I'm going to get slammed. Um, and coincidentally, it's not on my top five now because I'll, I'll watch something else that was released last year. Last year that's beaten it to the point. So I'm going to redeem myself a little bit, <laughs> but it's one of the most art. I watched it and I thought, yeah, I haven't got a beard for this. I, I just can't. <laughs> and it is the most Gillard film imaginable. But I, I, I respect it though, because I respect what it is. Mm, it's yeah. really just not for me at all. And some of these things like my number one in a minute, you like you said, 
the hipster choice. Never normally in a million years would I choose something like this. I thought with all the all the hype that going around Banshee's initially and, and the performances and um Ikeo Kid and I saw the little clip when he's talking, you know, the one where he's talking about the um, when I'm your age, will you like me then? That that bit, and I saw that mm-hmm. clip again. I thought, oh, you're so thick, ain't you? You're so stupid. But it just annoyed me. <laughs> I don't know why, because the performances were great, setting was great, everything about it relates. I did have to kind of. I think I did think at first because going in not knowing anything about it, I thought, "When is this even set?" And then you see the calendar when it's not in Twenty Three Island. And obviously, there was a thing on Twitter about um, the Irish guy put on it. I don't know how this will translate. If you're not Irish and you've got that kind of the backdrop to the Civil War, mm-hmm. obviously, no fucking idea what that means. Um, wasn't there? Don't know. <laughs> Maybe I was just in the, in the wrong frame of mind. Maybe I was tired. I don't know. It just... I was so disappointed. <laughs> Maybe my, my hopes were too high, and I thought it might be something that it wasn't. But again, performances deserve it. I wouldn't... If it got Oscars for that, no question whatsoever. But if this got Best Picture, let's just fold the whole world, because it, it can't. <laughs> I, I genuinely think you've misjudged it. Like, uh, there, there is a reason that everybody has been... I probably have. I, I, I probably I have. Think it's, it's a blind spot, but we all have them for various things. So I can't argue against it, but yeah. Matt, have you watched this one yet? No, no. I I think I'm going to need to be in the right frame of mind to watch this <laughs> because mm-hmm. I don't want to go into it on a day where I'm not going to focus on it Yeah, for the reasons you both said, to be honest. Um, you know, I... I'm not clutching, I'm, you know, I'm not, which is strange because of, I know it's not going to be the same film, but how much I loved in Bruges. Um, <laughs> but I'm hoping for the reasons I loved in Bruges, which would be why I'd like this. I'm hoping, you know, in a, in a strange way. Um, but I don't know. I, I will see it, but I, I'd like, I need, to, it needs to be on a day where I've got nothing on and I'm not in a rush. I can just sit down and appreciate it. And if I don't like it then, then so be it. But I don't want it to be because I've not given it my full attention. Yeah, that, that's totally fair. I'm glad I got to see it in the cinema, like for that exact reason that yeah. your mobile phone's there and there are distractions around, and it, it was beautiful on the big screen. I think that I think that might be one of the things. If I'd seen it in the cinema, cinema and I was proper hyped for it properly and not just doing it as a tick box thing, I mean, I'll come back to this in a year's time or whatever and say, yeah, fine. I mean, it, there's no way it still it still won't be on my top five. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe I'll appreciate it more, but nah. Um, but you look at the things that, like last year when I mentioned how good Belfast was. Normally, I wouldn't, ne- I would never watch something like that, mm-hmm. and that hit me perfectly. Oh god, that straight away. I, I, I love that film. So yeah. this is just one of them that it just didn't do it for me for whatever reason. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think sometimes the right setting just makes all the difference, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Matt, your number one, please, sir. So this was a real surprise for me. I and it's number one because of it's a rare thing that me and Sam both adored from start to finish. Um, and it's not a film, uh, but it was Wednesday. Um, really loved this series. It was just as a couple, it was just us down to a T. And you know, we what we watched Family Values like three times this year, and um. 
it was just great. It was like it 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 was nostalgic enough that it hinted back to the original. Even though Catherine Zeta Jones is arguably the biggest name in it, um, she barely features. It's not about Morticia. It, you know, it's about Wednesday, obviously. But uh, Ortega does just such a good job of this. You know, you know how someone just owns a role, and Richie just owns Wednesday. She just was Wednesday. Mm. There's never, there's no one, no one's ever going to get close to it. Well, actually, they have. Like Ortega has, has stolen it from her, and the irony is she's in it as playing another character. Um, it was just a really excellent kind of who done it murder mystery meets, you know, certain elements. I want to shock people and say, you know, Twilight esque in that there's there's an element of that high schoolness about it, which is fine. But then there's also Harry Pottery elements to it because of, like the building and the school and. The you know the, the magic elements to it. It was just a really well put together fun ride, and if you're a fan of the Adams family, especially, it takes it to that next step. And the fact that me and Sam both enjoyed it together, it, like we just we blitzed it in about maybe two days, three days at an absolute <laughs> maximum. Just just blitzed it through, re- and just with one of those like, should we watch one more? No, no, no. Let's save it. Let's let's not just play through this like we did with Ted Lasso before we knew it, the next episode was on, and we just had to binge it because we enjoyed it that much. I just thought it was wonderful. So now you've watched it all, can you go into this not knowing anything? You can. Oh, uh, what, uh, the Adams Family, full stop? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can. Like, you know, it's a, you know, I think it's in the trailer, so I don't think it's spoiling anything for anybody. Like, so when Fester turns up, um, you know, you're not going to have nearly the same joy of seeing Festa or seeing Thing or seeing mm. Cousin It or anyone like that if you don't know the original. I don't think you're going to get any of the same joy about it or so Lurch it, it, or anybody. like. It, it is in the same continuity then? Yeah, it's in the same... Uh, yeah, 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 it, it is. It's just Wednesday... Uh, Wednesday is expelled and they have to find her a new school and she's sent to a school for freaks, essentially. Fair. Um, but it, I just loved it. I loved everything about it. And, you know, for something that has like set the world alight in terms of like TikTok fame, you'd think that I would hate something along those lines, but I really don't. It's like the, the dance scene that everybody's talking about. And that was the big thing. Like when I saw it for the first time, I would just had a beaming smile on my face because I've been to like nightclubs and, I dance as stupidly as that when I'm pissed. Like when your whole body, when your the music just controls your body, and you don't, you're not in in um, control of your faculties, and you just like lose yourself to that moment. That's kind of like how people dance sometimes. And she does it, and she's out of her comfort zone in it. And I just, I loved it. I really, really loved it. it it's on my list of TV series that I want to try and watch you know, within the next couple of months. Um, like, everything about it sounds like it's my kind of fun, to be honest. Um, plus, like, I, I do... I, like, I'd seen the original Adam's Family. I remember they did a rerun of them on Channel 2 when the first couple of films came out in the 90s. So I remember watching it all then, and it, it looks like it'll be really good fun. Yeah, it's so relentlessly macabre as well, but mm-hmm. in an accessible way for like kids and adults alike like it's so it's just 
it's got all the really good elements of like uh, trying to unravel the plot and the twists and the turns and everything else, um, and then mix it with an existing IP of something that you know and enjoy. He's just he's just an absolute winner, and you know there's a reason why it became Netflix. It surpassed Stranger Things in terms of being the most watched thing on there at the, you know at that at that point. Mm. I mean, and that's no small feat, is it? Let's be no, honest. No, I mean, not at all. Stranger Things last year was the thing for like 99% of the year until Wednesday came about. And it has become like the most memed thing on the internet, I think as well. Uh-huh. Yeah, that that's that, that's on my list once I've got through a couple of the series first, but we'll see if you ever get around to it. Hopefully, I mean, if they do a season two, then I'm sort of going to have to, aren't I, I suppose? Mm. Yeah. Right, so Stu, your number one, which is also my number two, Tell them what it was. I don't think anyone would have guessed this, especially not from, from me. you. Not no, from no, you. No, no, no. And I we most people would think, oh, then it'll be an MCU film. And when people were saying, oh, it, multiverse of madness and all that kind of thing, it's not even the best film feature in a multiverse this year. And then, well, that's clearly not right, is it? Because obviously we had. Um, no way home and how good that was last year and the year before with Spider-Man and whatever. But everything, everywhere, all at once is the most... <laughs> Even trying to think of what to say about it is just... You can't, <laughs> can you? It's the most incredible, weird, strange, thought-provoking experiences maybe I've ever had watching a film. I've never seen anything like it before. It's almost like the first time I saw when I saw the Matrix for the first time and Bullet Time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, first time that happened, you think, "What? How?" Or Jurassic Park as a kid when I was seven years old, and you look at the the, the Donut and Sam Neill and looking over the the the, uh, the grasslands at the uh, what was then Brachiosaurus. Um, it's that levels of kind of wow that you don't get very often at all. I mean, that's what three in my entire life. And I watched this and I did not expect this film to make me cry. It happened. Mm-hmm. Just baffling, baffling. Um, for it to be part Jackie Chan film, <laughs> to be part. Um, <laughs> Part anime and comic book to be to be part maybe young ones bottom slash com- style comedy sausage it, fingers like exactly yeah. sausage it's a bit <laughs> you throw in a bit of Freddy got a finger there as well uh, it literally is everything everywhere all at once and you can't explain this film to anyone it's like the the, the, the tagline for the Matrix was you, you you can't see the Matrix you have to experience it for yourself or something like that, mm. and that is what this film is. You can't explain it because you, it ruin it. But even even if you try to explain it, it would make no fucking sense anyway. <laughs> it's an absolute masterpiece. There is nothing like this film ever. Like I, I genuinely. No. Huh? You boil the story down to its bare bones. It is a story of Chinese immigrants moving to America and a strained mother-daughter relationship. 
And that does not even begin to touch the sides of what this film is actually about. It's all of that. But it's also a scene where the mother and the daughter play two rocks that can't move and are forced to have a conversation through telekinesis. (laughs) Because it is so absurd. But there is also this, this undercurrent to the whole film about loving your, not only your fellow man, but your family members and everybody else. And, hey, we're all part of this great big melting pot without wishing to quote a 80s pop hit. There's just so much more to this film than you can, like you say, you just can't explain it to anyone. It has to be experienced. And I would recommend this one to anyone as well. Don't get me wrong, I'm not sure that everyone would get this film. And I imagine there'll probably be people who would have this in their bottom five because it's pretentious nonsense. But for me, it worked a treat. Mm. Yeah, and uh, again, I can completely understand why people would put it in their bottom five. Because mm-hmm. maybe in, in a, on another day, if I'd watched, like Banshee's been sharing, if I'd watched this on a day where I was fully on it, maybe I would have think this is ridiculous. But I've watched it twice. <laughs> and it got better the second time. Mm. Yeah, I agree. And, and I went... <laughs> But I thought about it and having one through different dimensions and whatever. Um, and not Jet Li's the one, obviously. That's <laughs> nonsense film. Um, but everything, even however ludicrous and mad it is, everything seemed to make sense. <laughs> Which was a magnificent feat in itself. Mm, yeah. And I think that the uh, Michelle Yeoh and Stephanie Hsu, I believe it's pronounced, like as the two main female leads in this, that they really carried the film perfectly. But Ki Hyung, uh, sorry, Ki Hui Kwan, who was um, Waymond, like he was probably my favourite character in anything this year. He was so relentlessly optimistic and then really suave and sexy and then an absolute goof in the next scene. And he was brilliant. I'm, I'm really glad that he's got some... Uh, Golden Globe recognition this week and that's just so good to see his speech at the Golden Globes if you've not seen it I'd, I I fully recommend you check it out it's very heartwarming and very funny but yeah the acting is superb throughout it mm-hmm. Matt have you did you get around to seeing this one? No I, I will at some point um, I, yeah I will at some point it's just one of those that like I don't It's it's not got the mainstream success or at least in the circles that i read in which doesn't say a lot um <laughs> that i'm ever going to get it spoiled for me so it doesn't you know it doesn't matter it, when i see it kind of thing i, really. don't, I don't think it's possible to do no. that anyway no yeah. i think it is <laughs> um i will get around to watching it at some point but um you know there's only so many hours in the day at the minute so um again it's one of those where i don't want to have to like cram it into a half an hour bit of free time and then watch the another half an hour or another time. I just want to be able to watch it in its in its all its glory. Yeah, no, I, yeah. I think if if anything, and I don't normally do this, so I don't watch whatever you want. But if you can make two and a half hours from somewhere, uh, like plan your week around it, that this is going to be the, the event on a like a Friday on a Friday night or whatever. If you had a normal job and work normal hours, if you plan a week ahead and say. This is what we're doing this week. End of the week. This is the aim. Watch this film. 
you're not going to be disappointed by it. Mm. It's just, it's magical. That's what mm. it is. It, it tickles both the the pretentious arty side of me, but also the silly, I want a nice fun film side of me. It, 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 yeah, it works on both levels and that's like that, that's the best you can ask for, I think. Yeah, loved it. Right, so that's us wrapped up this week. Next week we're doing our bottom five films of the year. Drop us a tweet, let us know what you thought shut the bed in 2022. There's plenty to choose from. Uh, cagefightingpod at gmail.com or on the socials at cagefightingpod. Um, I, I can't even remember what the outro is to this podcast anymore. It's been that long since we've recorded. <laughs> <laughs> um, this week, Matt, would you like to say goodbye? Take it easy, everybody. Look after yourselves. Ciao. Stuart, would you like to say goodbye? Shorts weather will be upon us soon. Don't worry, people. And I have tried this week twice. Twice I've been caught out though as well. I had to I had to double back and go back for jeans, but it'll be there soon. Don't worry, stick there. <laughs> Try. <laughs> it's goodbye from me and remember. Be excellent to each other. <laughs> We'll be right back.